Thank you, Pastor Wade. And uh, apologies for the cane. Uh, Pastor Wade mentioned the pilgrimages I've gone on. And after two, after walking across Spain twice, walking across England twice, and walking from England to Rome over the Alps once, the hip finally gave out. And uh, three weeks ago, I had surgery. So I'm actually doing pretty well. But uh, this is my security blanket. So <clears throat> it really is a privilege to be able to be here with you this morning. As uh, was mentioned, uh, it's been quite a while since uh, I have preached here, but I had the opportunity back in the late 90s because Pastor Gene Preston, one of the, uh, I think he's the first pastor here at the time, uh, when Tammy and myself planted Island City Church, and Island City Church is still there, it's on Jubilee Street, it doesn't really minister in Lang Kwai Fong anymore, but at the time, we really felt there needed to be a place in Lang Kwai Fong, and we planted that church in 1995, and Pastor Gene was, um, as, as a, a over the next couple, two, three, four years, he became a real supporter to Tammy and myself. He felt really strongly about young people ministering into Lang Kwai Fong during a particular time, I think in the, in the late 90s, when there was a bit of uncertainty. And, um, and so I just really always appreciated the support he gave us. And like I said, he, he had us come and speak a couple times at Community Church. So that leads me to asking a question. How many people were there the last time I spoke at Community Church? And even more importantly, do you happen to have your notes from my talk? Because I was hoping to continue the series I began back then. Nobody? Okay. Maybe then we'll start afresh with something new, okay? But actually, as Pastor Wade mentioned, I'm not going to start entirely new because on the journey you have been on for the last few weeks as you exploring heaven and hell is something that I've been watching alongside of you. I think I've seen every episode. I have to go back. I might have missed one because of my, my hip surgery. But um, the, what you were, were bringing out, Pastor Wade and, and Pastor Brenda as well, was, I think you're all very familiar with this, right? Okay. Um, as, as Pastor Wade was unpacking this, so much of my own Christian journey was being replayed before me. And that's what led me to reaching out and just really wanting to connect because I really feel that this message uh, is, is something of vital importance. Excuse me, not only do I need a cane, but I think last time I preached at community church, I didn't need glasses. Ah, to be young again. Um, and obviously, not to, to go over it too much because you, you've already seen it, but you know, this is what I grew up with as well, that my Christianity was you live your life on earth, you try to get your theology right, your understanding of God right, and if you get it right, then when you die, you'll be judged correctly and you'll go to heaven instead of hell. And hell was like this really, really bad place. And, and I didn't want to go there. And when Pastor Wade, I think, mentioned a couple times some of the fear that this generated in him and, and others, I really resonated with that. I, I still remember, as much as I loved God, and I, since a young boy, I've had a real desire to know God. And I remember being 13, 14 years old, waking up in the middle of the night and thinking, have I accepted the Lord enough? Maybe I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior again, just to make double sure I end up here and not there. And unfortunately, the fear that that produces is not really in line with the Abba Father that 
the Abba Father of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I still remember back even in the early days when I was first here in Hong Kong one time, we did actually what was called, and I'm embarrassed to say this now, a hell night where a number of churches, we got together and we did this big event. I mean, this got all over Hong Kong. All the churches were broadcasting this. And it seemed like a good idea at the time, but it's looking back, I'm a little embarrassed. And I remember some of the pastors that I was involved with, we would do there were these, these skits and it would be a whole drama and people would come and you have a huge auditorium and you would enact these skits showing people making decisions for God or choosing to not make a decision for God. And then if they'd made the wrong choice, they were carted off to hell. And when I think back now, the fear that that generated, I, I think the term was used somewhere that the, scaring the hell out of people. I know that we scared the hell out of a lot of people that night. You know, and, and our intentions were good. Nobody meant to be malicious. But there was such, because when you have a structure that gets off the identity of God revealed in Christ, inevitably there's going to be a blowback from that. There's going to be things that need to be corrected, okay? And I think you use the term deconstruction, or some people use renovation. I know in my own life there has been a, a need to look back at some of the structures that I have been given and rethink them in the light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is not something new. This is something that goes all the way back to what Jesus was doing with his disciples. Okay, so I'm going to highlight two different times where Jesus implemented a time of giving some lessons about rethinking what God and what God's intentions are in the light of Christ. Uh, Before I begin, though, or before I show my first example, just to set the stage, it's kind of a metaphor for this I, I thought of a while ago. My dad sadly died of COVID last year, just before his 80th birthday. And I miss him greatly. There's hardly a day goes by I don't think about him. And I look forward to, to being reunited him with him again in the age to come. But when I was a young boy, he had a flooring company. You know, we'd put tiles and carpets down. And we would often do these big commercial jobs, like big supermarkets and warehouses and factories. And what, if you've never done tile before, it's very important, especially over a large area, that you maintain uh, that the tiles are straight. Because when you're going over a long distance, if you're not online, after a long time, it, gets re- it can get really crooked. Okay, So my brothers and I, you would set a plumb line or a chalk line. You take measurements off the wall. You would get a center. And then you would place those tiles in conjunction to that plumb line. And you would lay them out. Usually it would work. But occasionally, whether for lack of concentration, getting sidetracked, maybe the floor was a little off and we weren't taking some things into consideration, we would inevitably be off our, our plumb line. And the crookedness was starting to become apparent. And you have to make a decision at that point. How far do we go in the wrong direction? Do we keep going in the wrong direction? And, we're, and we can justify it. It's, it's not that crooked, right? It can, it's a little crooked. Or you have to make a decision, no. We want this to look really good. People pay us a lot of money to do this. And so 
when, occasionally when this would happen, we'd make the decision, and it's not an easy decision. And I really want to link this to the decision we have to sometimes make when we rethink some of the things that we have had to unlearn or relearn in our Christian walk. It can get messy, and it hits our identity. And I, You know, we would start pulling these tiles up, and when you lay tiles, there's glue, and you'd get the glue would get all gnarly in your hand. You know, and it's, it's not fun. And it's a trial. But if you're willing to make the effort to do it, the results are fantastic. Because when you go back onto that plumb line and you get everything straight, everyone's happy. The client is happy. You know, and then you look at this beautiful floor of what it was supposed to be. And you're thinking, thank God I didn't do a crooked floor. And I really want to connect that to, I want us one day when we're standing, we're in the age to come, we think, you know what, I'm glad we didn't continue to have our Christian walk go in a crooked direction. That Occasionally, we took, assessed where we were at, see we, where we are in relationship to that plumb line, which is Jesus Christ, and make adjustments based on that, okay? So let's look at our first example in St. John. Some of you are familiar with this uh, encounter. A man named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee and a religious leader, comes to Jesus at night. And we'll just read it together first. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Oops. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Jesus immediately brings it back to the topic he is always talking about, the kingdom of God. Everything, Nicodemus, I'm going to share with you is about how do we see the kingdom of God, how do we advance the kingdom of God, and how do we live in the kingdom of God now, okay? But in in order to do that, you have to be born from above, Nicodemus asks a very legitimate question. How can anybody be born after having grown old, of which he is? Can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. First of all, in order for Nicodemus to even do this, and granted, he came at night, he wanted to be a little bit clandestine, a little bit nervous, because Jesus was already starting to be a controversial figure, and we know what it's like to connect with controversial religious leaders at times. But you want so much to follow what God has. Nicodemus makes this choice. And, you know, he's an older man, and he's established, and he's going to this young rabbi. And one of the qualities that's really necessary in order to do these renovations in our Christian walk is to have humility, to realize that maybe even if I've put in a lot of years into my Christian walk, maybe I didn't get everything right. And maybe I might need to even sometimes go to somebody newer and young, not newer, <laughs> younger, and, and get a fresh assessment. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus. And uh, it's funny, Jesus says, uh, he has to explain 
what the kingdom of heaven is. And he's slightly annoyed. And in the verses that follow, he, he actually says to Nicodemus, how are you a leader of Israel? And you don't understand this. And, and Nicodemus is perplexed by this, okay? So Jesus really has to tell him and explain, listen, in order, you don't have to physically be born again. You're not going to be able to enter your mother's womb again. But what you will have to do is unlearn. It's not a coincidence that Jesus says at one point, unless you become as a little child, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Because so much, so often when we get to a certain age, we have ideas about what God is like, what God cares about, what his priorities are. And more often than not, Jesus always flips those on their head and forces us to re-examine them. And unless we're willing to, to see things through fresh eyes, and Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, if you're not willing to do this, uh, you know, it's gonna, you're not going to be able to see the kingdom of heaven. And unfortunately, many of Nicodemus's peers were not able to do this. In fact, the Bible chronicles the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees because the Pharisees were so sure of their understanding of God. And Jesus would say, well, your understanding is this, but the Father is saying this. And it just made them, rather than having the humility of saying, I need to rethink this, they obviously doubled down and they would fight him on that. The great thing about Nicodemus is, and this is one of the reasons I want to see him one day in the age to come, is he's such a hero of mine because we know that he succeeded in doing this. And how do we know? Because when Jesus goes to Calvary and he dies his death on the cross, the Bible chronicles that Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, contended for the body of Jesus in order to bury him. Nicodemus was willing in the midst of a mob. And we, mobs can be scary things. We saw what a mob did to Jesus to the point where Peter denied him. He was that scared of a mob. And Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, said, what this guy was sharing is what we all need to have in our life. And he, so that, that's just a real, it's as an example of someone who was willing to make that deconstruction, give that rethink, readjust his walk with God in relationship to this plumb line that we talk about in Jesus Christ. The second example, <coughs> excuse me. Second example is uh, another familiar passage of Scripture, which I think you, you uh, would know, and it is the Mount of Transfiguration. Shortly before Jesus goes to Calvary, it goes to his uh, crucifixion, uh, it says, Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So we're on the cusp, and he's explaining. That would have been so amazing to see Jesus, Elijah, and Moses talking about the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament had prophesied. <coughs> Excuse me. So Peter and his companions are very sleepy, sleepy, but then, obviously, they become fully awake. They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. 
As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is important. The Bible says he did not know what he was saying. We're going to come back to that in a second. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept, them, kept this to themselves and did, thank you, and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. You read my mind, Anita. Thank you so much. Peter makes a mistake that multitudes of followers of Christ have made, including myself. He says, this is fantastic. We've got Moses here. We've got Elijah here. We've got Jesus here. We've got our understanding of God through Moses and the law. We've got our understanding of the prophets through, of God through the prophets, through Elijah. And we have our understanding of God through Jesus, his son. We've got a new lens in which to view Jesus. Peter comes to this revelation, and God, I love how it says, Peter didn't know what he was saying. Instantly, God interrupts him. God the Father interrupts him. Says, no, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then Elijah and Moses disappear. And this is the problem is sometimes we take the shadow understandings that Moses and Elijah, and they were wonderful revelations for the time about the nature of God. But Hebrews 1 says this, in ancient times, God revealed himself at times through his prophets. But in these latter days, he has revealed himself through through his son, who is the exact representation of God. Okay? So we have to be really careful that we're not mixing up our ideas of God through these three different lenses. And the Father is very clear to tell Peter, no, everything about who I am can be found in my son, Jesus Christ. And this is one of the problems that can happen, is sometimes when you don't get the God that you want in Jesus, you go back to Elijah, you go back to Moses to find the God that you're really looking for. Well, Steve, what do you mean by that? Well, sometimes I don't want to love my enemies. Jesus tells me I have to love my enemies. I kind of sometimes want that Moses God that will crush my enemies. That's what I want. I want, the, I want sometimes, the, so I'll use a verse from here that says how God will, will fight my enemies for me. Or when we want some version of, of nationalism or cultural um, elevation, as we know that sometimes Peter struggled with, and I'll share with that in just a moment, we can go, we can't sometimes always go to Jesus because Jesus so loved the world that he gave him. You know, he, in Christ, Christ loves all cultures, all ethnicities, all, all nations. But if I go to the Old Testament, I can find a justification to you know, make America great again, you know, or whatever I need. I can find a verse back that will justify that. And that's what we have to be really careful that 
we keep Jesus as the exact representation of God. This was a lesson for Peter, James, and John. And now the next portion I'm going to share with you is a little bit conjecture in that we don't know exactly why Jesus took Peter, James, and John up and didn't take the rest of the disciples. Some people have speculated that Peter, James, and John were probably, you know, they were the unofficial leaders of the disciples. And so Jesus was doing a leadership retreat up to the top of the mountain and brought his leaders with him. Makes sense. And that very well could be the case. But I want to suggest another possibility. I'm going to share in a moment a verse from Galatians about how ultimately the revelation that Jesus brings us of God as our Abba Father, our Papa Father, this intimacy that we don't always see conveyed in the Old Testament, but is really brought about in Jesus Christ. And a good father, a good parent, will do whatever it takes for their child in order to bring about the best version of them, will do what's best for them. And if they're having a struggle in a particular area, will give them extra attention in order to be able to work out some of those, those challenges, okay? So I'm going to suggest Peter's up there because Peter struggled with this, sometimes wanted to go back and getting that God in the Old Testament. And the reason we know this is in the book of Acts, even though Peter has been walking with Jesus for three years and experienced firsthand all of his teachings, he so struggled with kind of a, a Jewish nationalism that when Cornelius, the Roman centurion, had come to see him, God had to give Peter a special vision. And most of you are familiar in the book of Acts, the vision, I don't have it up on the screen, of where the, uh, the unclean animals that he'd been told his whole life, you don't eat these unclean animals. And God reminds him, what I've made clean, you don't call unclean. So in order, for, even at this stage of his walk with God, he still needed the special lesson just to go and be with a Roman. And even then, he's a little bit rude to him. If you read, he, he finally goes down to the centurion and says, you know, this is really unusual because I'm not even supposed to, to you know, be in the same room with a, a Roman. But God showed me that you're clean now. I mean, you've got to see Cornelius is going, oh, thanks, you know. Uh, and then later, uh, Peter is, uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul the Apostle talks about how Peter is hanging out with the Gentiles, but then when leaders, the Jewish leaders show up, he withdraws from the Gentiles and starts being all Jewish again with the Jewish leaders. And Paul the Apostle has to rebuke him to his face. So Peter had this ongoing issue, Okay. And, you know, I sympathize with Peter. This is something that he was birthed with. These are structures that were put on him from a young, young child. And it's difficult to get rid of all of them. And so this is not to criticize Peter, but to highlight the love of Jesus and the Father heart of God that he will stand with us even through these shortcomings that we have and give us these extra lessons. Now, James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. Jesus gives them the name of the sons of thunder. And why? For a number of reasons, but the one the Bible really highlights is at one point, Jesus is teaching near a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village does not receive them well and wants them to move on. John, uh, James and John say, 
Jesus, you know it's a good idea. We know how God is. We've read, we've read the, we've read about Elijah. Let's call down fire from heaven and consume all of them and kill them. What's Jesus' response? Did Jesus say, that's a good idea? Yes, that's what God does. <laughs> of course not. Jesus turns to them and says, You don't know what spirit you're speaking of, you're speaking from. And, but in James and John's mind, this is biblical. I can go back and show you the verse where, where God does this. And this is where Jesus is saying, no, no, there's a lesson. You need to re-understand who God is, God's love. This is not how God operates. And so he brings, him, Peter, uh, he brings James and John up here as well. And again, this is merely my conjecture. But these three needed an extra lesson of knowing, hey, you know what? We love Moses for the revelation of the law he brought. We love Elijah for the prophetic, the prophets, and the continuing talking about Israel being a worshiping just nation that would be a light to the Gentiles. But having said that, now that we have Jesus, the exact representation of who God is, this is, this is how we come to understand Jesus. We've got the, I've got the title of this talk, Why We Sometimes Forget God is Like Jesus. And this is something we can all fall into a trap of doing occasionally. Uh, Pastor Wade mentioned, I've, I've walked the Camino de Santiago. Anybody familiar with the Camino de Santiago? It's a 500-mile uh, uh, Christian pilgrimage in Spain. One of the uh, cathedrals you go past about two-thirds of the way through the walk is the cathedral in Leon. And it's really known for its stained glass. It has like 1,800 meters of stained glass. And most of it is still the original, dating back to between the 13th and 15th centuries. And in one big area at the top, they have a whole row on one side of the Old Testament patriarchs. And you see uh, Abraham and Elijah and Moses and, and uh, Isaiah and, and all these great patriarchs from the Old Testament on one side. And then on the other side, you see the New Testament, the disciples and, and Paul. And they're all on this side. Now, when they designed the cathedral, they designed it in such a way so that the sun would only light up the New Testament characters, but the the patriarchs from the Old Testament are always left in shadow. The light is never coming through their stained glass. The understanding being is, as wonderful as these men were, they did not live in the time of the revelation that we know of God through Christ. And so even five, six, seven hundred years ago, this lesson is still a lesson that is being massaged into God's people. I, I loved it. When I took the tour and that was explained, I thought, oh, this is wonderful. And I, it's, it's, if you ever get a chance to go to this cathedral, it is stunning. I'll finish with this verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God.
when I was 13 years old, I kind of understood God as Abba, and I would have said God was Abba. But if I truly knew God as Abba, I would not have been scared or afraid that he would send his son to an eternal hellfire. This is one of the changes in my understanding of God. When we see him as Papa, it completely changes your relationship, your understanding with God. That, that has been so helpful for me. One of the things that in this whole time of maybe rethinking certain aspects of my Christian walk is I'm not afraid. In Christ, we don't have to be afraid. Um, when uh, Pastor Wade started this series, he mentioned a, a number of books and men who've inspired it, uh, people like N.T. Wright and U.G. Peterson, which um, I'm also have been in, in have been invaluable in my understanding of God. I want to add to that one uh, pastor in America that has been very inspirational to me, uh, a guy named Brian Zahn. And this is a quote from him, and I just love it. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. In Christ, you are his child. You will never be alone. And even more importantly, you don't have to be afraid. Thank you, Community Church. Thank you, Pastor Wade. It's been a pleasure to be with you this morning. God bless you all.